The word of the Lord. Well done on your first time. All right. I'm sure some of you have done that before. And again, we're doing this to prepare our hearts to be responsive. All right. So, why don't you stand with me? And I'm going to read uh, just one verse, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word uh, reveals to us who you are, uh, how you're calling us to live, and Lord, how we can be made right in Jesus Christ. So God, I pray today you give us eyes to see, you give us ears to hear, you give us hearts tender uh, to the Holy Spirit, and God, you prepare our bodies to respond fully, uh, Lord, to your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to begin our uh, message today with, with two questions, really they're tied together, and that is, what is the good life, and who is a good person? Uh, that's another slide, another question, it'll come in a minute. All right, what is the good life, and who is a good person? Uh, I think these are actually are two fundamental questions for all humans uh, to ask and answer, and we're all asking it whether we know it or not. Uh, anytime we try to accomplish anything in life, we're really doing so through that lens of what actually is a good life and who actually is a good person. Now, both of those questions assume the definition to the word good. What is good in and of itself? Now, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, we got a really clear definition from God on what is good, which leads us to understand what is a good life and who is a truly good person. Now, Micah 6, 8, uh, God said, the prophet said, uh, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What is good? That Hebrew word is the word tov, all right, T-O-V, tov. And that word tov has a depth to it that's beyond how we typically use the word good. Uh, typically, when we say the word good, we just mean, I, I like what's happening. How's your day? Good. It's pleasant, it's pleasurable, it was a decent day, I liked it. Good to us means something we like. But, but good in the Hebrew, in the scriptures, it's more than just something being pleasant or something we like. It has to do with something being functional, working as it should, working as it was created to. So in the scriptures, remember during creation, after every day of creation, God made things and said, and it is good, it is tov. That it's, it's working as God intended it to. It's good in that it's accomplishing its creative purposes. And all of us long for this kind of life, a life that works as it was created to work, a life that is truly good. And we long to be good people, people that are working as we were made to work. We long for this kind of life. And here in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God is telling us, a description of what that kind of life looks like. And three things in particular are highlighted. That to live a life that is truly good is a life where a person acts justly, loves mercy, and walks humbly. Acts 
uh, justly, loves mercy, and walks humbly. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at those three things, justice, mercy, and humility. Why are they so important to the good life? Today, justice. We're going to consider two questions. What is it? And then how do we do it? All right? Justice. What is it? And how do we do it? So first, justice. What is it? What is it? Uh, Justice is talked a lot about. Uh, There's a lot of hard conversations and controversy around this term. Uh, But it's a very, very important term, especially in our nation. Um, The preamble to our Constitution in the U.S. uh, says this, We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So one of the express purposes of the Constitution and for our founding as a nation was the establishment of justice. What is it? What is justice? Now, if you do a little study into this, you maybe uh, go online and and ask, uh, what is justice? Uh, You're going to find some different answers. Matter of fact, a lot of uh, scholars would say there are four different views of justice at work in our society today which is why it's so hard to get our minds around this word. Uh, let me just quickly uh, list these four different views that are common in our culture today. Uh, the first would be procedural justice. Procedural justice. Uh, probably the best way to look at that is through the, uh, the image of lady justice. Anyone seen this picture before? You've got the lady holding the two scales there, symbolizing you know, decisions made in a court of law, what is right, what is wrong. Uh, who is right, who is wrong, and Lady Justice is blindfolded. Why is Lady Justice blindfolded? Anyone know? Impartiality. Impartiality. Thank you, Chandler. Impartiality. That justice is not to decide, do I like you or not? Are you a friend of mine or not? You know, do, do, uh, we, we, don't, we don't judge based on personal bias. But under the law, there is impartiality, right? So procedural justice aims at fairness, of process. Um, And so this view of justice seeks to establish a a fair process with equal opportunity for all. But that's not the only view of justice at work in our culture today. There's also another view we would call distributive justice. And in this view, people are very concerned that everyone would have a fair share. Uh, They're looking at the questions of how are our resources distributed and allocated in our society. And this view is very concerned about resource inequality and on what basis who gets what. And so a lot of discussions here have to do with tax rates and systems of care and how education is funded. Uh, Distributive justice is concerned with that kind of uh, element. There's procedural justice, distributive justice. Thirdly, retributive justice is another view at work in our culture today. Retributive justice is concerned that people be held accountable for their actions. You know, a society flourishes when crime and corruption uh, are kept down. And so uh, retributive justice emphasizes there being punishment for wrongdoing so that a society then could 
flourish because crime and corruption are kept down. So in this view, the establishment of justice is about creating a system where crime and corruption are not rampant. Retributive justice. And then fourth, restorative justice. And that's about repairing harm and restoring people and communities. So people that have this view in mind, uh, they are working to create laws and policies that would correct societal problems and cultivate healthy communities in which flourishing could happen. There's the four views that are at work in our society today. So when you say the word justice, not everyone is thinking the same thing. Matter of fact, people usually have one of those four views in their mind, and so we're not necessarily talking the same kind of language when we use the same word. And the question for us this morning is, which of those four is the biblical view? And what I want to suggest to you is none of them by themselves are the biblical view. Uh, The Bible actually has a lot to say about justice. And for us as followers of Jesus, uh, what we have to be careful about doing is not taking a cultural view of justice and bringing it in on top of the Scriptures so that we read our Bibles through a cultural lens. But instead, we look at what the Bible says and then bring the truth of the Scriptures to bear on ourselves and our world around us. But that's always a challenge, simply because we live in the world. I mean, we watch the news, we look at social media, and we do that far more than we read the Bible. We're like a car driving down a road that hits a bump and gets out of line and needs to be realigned regularly. The Scriptures are our realignment. As we go through our days and our week, lots of influences will pull us in one direction or another, and the Scriptures realign us. So that's my goal this morning, that we would be realigned to what the Bible has to say about justice. So, justice in the Scriptures. Firstly, I want us to see that biblical justice is based on God's character. Biblical justice is all about who God is. Now, I I don't want to uh, overwhelm you this morning, but I'm going to read a lot of Scripture, all right? I I said that we're going to let the Scripture realign us, so I'll, I'll try to do a lot of that this morning. So hang with me. Uh, Psalm 89, uh, verse 14, and then Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, uh, tell us about justice being core to God's character. Uh, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The foundations of God's rule are righteousness and justice. Uh, Deuteronomy says that the rock, God, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is who God is. He is a just God. Deuteronomy 10, 17-19 tells us that God is just and therefore calls his people to be just. It says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You hear that? He's basing this call for justice on the character of God. So when we talk about justice, we're not just talking about like worldly systems, about outreach programs, uh, legal ideologies. Uh, initiatives to fix brokenness in the world. What we're actually talking about 
is the character of God. Uh, it's very important for us to remember around this conversation because I find that it's easy for us to say we're going to talk about the Bible and then talk about like uh, justice things in the world. These aren't different conversations. We actually bring them together in the scriptures because it's who God is, a just God. God's character is a character of justice. So what does this mean that he wants us to live justly? I'm going to focus on two things this morning. First, Biblical justice means equal treatment for all under God's law. Biblical justice means equal treatment for all under God's law. Another verse in Deuteronomy, chapter 16, verse 19, brings this out, where it says, You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of righteousness. So there's really two core aspects to this principle. First, we need God's law as a unifying principle to be under. That people are, are to be treated equally, not with partiality, not just based on our personal preference or bias, but under God's law. So what God says about how life should be lived we must know that if there's going to be true equality. So biblical justice assumes this idea of God's law being over us, his unifying principle, defining right and wrong. If we all get to define right and wrong, then we really can't live justice. Who's justice? What is right? What is just? If there is not a standard by which to measure it by. So God's law gives us that. But then the idea is there's fair treatment under God's law. Now, we just assume this in our modern American culture today. Well, of course, everyone should be treated equally. We think, like, who, who wouldn't think that? The vast majority of people in the history of the world did not believe this. In the ancient world, when this was written, this was a foreign concept. Uh, people treated one another based on their, whether they were related, part of the same ethnicity. You, you, you worked for the good of your people and your people only. This idea that all humanity was under God's law, therefore should be treated uh, impartially, this was new and novel with God's revelation of himself in the scriptures. And today, our, our Western world is anchored, our, our idea of justice is anchored in this truth. Biblical justice means equal treatment for all under God and his law. And this goes throughout the scriptures, recognizing that, God, that what God says is right and we're to treat all people uh, with justice based on that. But there's a second principle in the scriptures uh, that uh, has to do with justice. And the second principle is this. Biblical justice means special treatment for the vulnerable. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Now, a lot of the other prophets go to great lengths to explain how Israel was supposed to have special care for the vulnerable. And it always lists four groupings, uh, the poor, the orphan, uh, the widow, um, and the immigrant. Those, th th those four groupings were very, very important for God's people to show special care to. Now, these two principles seem at odds at times, don't they? How do we treat everyone equally under God's law and show special treatment 
uh, for the vulnerable. There's a tension here. And there's a tension that we're, we're meant to hold. And then with God's wisdom and by His Spirit, live out as appropriate. But it's all too easy to pick one or the other. And we have to hold these two biblical ideas in tension. Um, you know, uh, one, one of the ways we see this in the Old Testament is God had created a lot of uh, rules for His people about how to care for the vulnerable. Even things like He would say, you that own a field, don't harvest all the way to the edges. He said, well, har harvest and what you need, but leave some along the edges for the poor to glean. And that idea seems strange. Well, if it's your field, you know, take all of it. And God says, no, 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 no. A just person, a just person considers the poor. So God always has this special care, special concern for the vulnerable. And we have to hold these two facets of justice together. And this is why no modern uh, understanding of justice fits neat and cleanly in what the Bible says. As Christians, we look at this principle, we look at what the Bible says, and then we try to work out these principles into the world um, rather than vice versa. Now, if it's a challenge to get our heads around what the Bible says about justice, it's even harder to then do something based on it. It's one thing to know it, it's another thing to do it. And did you know, did you see what the scripture said there? It didn't just say, no justice. It said, act justly or do justice. How do we do this? How do we live this principle out? Because this was the prophet Micah's concern. Um, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that most of the Old Testament prophets, their message was all pretty similar. The message was basically, here's what God says to do. You haven't done it judgment's coming. That's kind of like the message of the prophets. Here's what God says to do. You haven't done it. Judgment's coming. Repent. And one of the things that Micah was concerned about was how they had not lived justly. In Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, uh, this precedes the Micah 6-8 passage. Micah says this. He says, hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. And, prophets tell fortunes for, uh, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. So the condition in Israel at that time was that the leaders of Israel had become corrupt. Uh, they were primarily influenced by acquiring profit, uh, the civil leaders and the religious leaders. Therefore, they were not impartial in how they led, and they were not concerned for the vulnerable. Now, the irony here is they're blind to this reality. They say, uh, is not God among us? Aren't we still going to temple? Aren't we still offering sacrifices? Aren't we doing what God requires? And Micah's message is, no, you're actually not doing what God requires. And they are shocked by this. Now, um, for the sake of time, I'm going to drive on. I was going to read you another uh, passage from another prophet that has the same kind of message. But I think you all get the point. That God calls us to live justly, and we struggle to do justice. 
And I really want to focus the rest of our time on the question, how can we do justice? How can we do it? If this is what God calls us to, how does it actually get lived in our lives? Because God's people back then and God's people today struggle to live this out well. Now, you might think at this point of the message, when I start talking about how to do justice, maybe you think this is the time where I would be highlighting the justice issues and causes of our day that are pressing. Uh, Maybe you think I'd be alerting you uh, to the need to protect the unborn or to focus on immigration issues or issues of racial reconciliation or care for the poor or care for orphans and then call us to action in all of those areas. Now, understanding biblical justice should inform our understanding of those issues and motivate us to action as God directs. But my application today is not focused on the larger justice issues and causes in our culture today. It's not that that focus would be bad. I just think it would be inadequate. See, Jesus taught that a good tree produces good fruit. That's one of the images that Jesus said, that a good tree produces good fruit. Good fruit are our actions. That the deeds of justice that we all long to see lived out through the church and our greater society, they must come from a good heart. The fruit, the deeds, come from the person, the heart, the soul. So the question really is, how do we become just people who do the deeds of justice? To simply say, go work in these areas, is to say, try harder. And you know what history tells us? We fail, we fail, we fail. How do we become just people? And so what I want to look at is a teaching in the New Testament. Most of our teaching so far has been from the Old Testament. But in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, we have this amazing teaching about being justified and the just work of Jesus. So as I read this, I want you to look for the words just and justify, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This right here, this right here, is transformative. When we can grasp what the Scriptures are saying, this is how God changes a person to become a just person who then does deeds of justice. Good fruit produced from a good tree. I want to focus on three things from this passage. First of all, if we're going to become a person that does justice, we must first recognize the source of injustice. We must first recognize the true source of injustice. 
You know, what's ironic is that for all the talk in our day-to-day about injustice, for all that's said about what's wrong and broken and corrupt, I find few people asking this kind of question. What's the origin of injustice? Where did the problem come from? What's the source? Why do people in every generation and in every culture tend to oppress one another? Why does this keep happening? Why is it so easy to show favoritism and partiality? And so instead, we become like doctors who would only focus on symptoms and not search for a cure. Much of what's happening in our world today is trying to attach band-aids to a soul problem. The Bible tells us the ultimate source, the true source. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, every human, everyone that's lived on planet earth has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reason injustice exists in our world is because the human heart is bent inward. That's what sin is. Sin isn't just that we've done a few of the deeds on the naughty list. Sin is about the condition of the human heart. And every single one of us has a heart that is bent inward, not upward towards God and outward towards others. And this gets displayed in different ways, but all have sinned. Every human has this problem inwardly. We tend to put ourselves first. Uh, We tend to look for our own personal happiness and tend to want our own fulfillment. And that almost always comes by uh, at, the, at the expense of others. Now, the temptation in talking about injustice is, is to look at the injustice out there and the real problem of injustice as being out there rather than in here. Is to look at other groups, other parties, other systems and say, that's what's bad, it needs to change. Uh, last night, uh, I, with my family, uh, watched the movie The Help. Anybody here watch, seen that movie before? A few of you, okay. Uh, it's a movie that describes um, a time during the civil rights era, uh, the, the life and working condition of maids who were working uh, in households. So African-American maids uh, working in the homes uh, of, uh, of uh, white people in Jackson, Mississippi. And as you watch this movie, uh, what you find is it's a, it was a horrible condition for these people to be working in. And I found myself, as I watched the movie, becoming somewhat uh, indignant at how they were treated. Thinking, like, how could someone do this to somebody else? You know, I just can't imagine me here today in, you know, 2023, imagining that kind of living scenario. Things are very different in Dover, New Hampshire today than they were in Jackson, Mississippi during the Civil Rights era. And I found myself becoming indignant at... Uh, the depiction on the screen. But then I quickly recognized a second, very similar emotion, and it was hard to tell the difference between the, t- between the two. The other emotion was self-righteous indignation. See, justified indignation is to say, that's wrong. That is not what God wants. And that should be addressed. Self-righteous indignation says, oh, look at those bad people glad I'm not one of them. I couldn't imagine being one of those people that participated in that kind of injustice. And I find it's all too easy for my indignation to be self-righteous indignation. 
But if I do believe this passage, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, then somehow in my heart, I have participated in injustice. I have a heart that is sinful, that wants what I want and does not care what others want. And as long as we are looking externally to others, to others being the problem, we don't see the real problem within ourselves. So the question for us today is, do we really believe what the Scriptures say, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Do we really believe there's a justice problem within every human heart? See, if we believe that, oh, do I have good news. I mean, God has a solution. He has a cure. He longs to reshape a human heart upward and outward. But He only does that for hearts that recognize their heart is bent inward. So we must first if we're going to be a just person, recognize that we aren't a just person. In what ways do you find that principle working out in your life? What person, what group are you tempted to look at and say, glad I'm not one of them, they're the problem. What is it for you? We all have it. What's it for you? First, recognize the true source of injustice. It's, It's in the human heart. Secondly, Receive justification from Jesus. Receive justification from Jesus. That last verse of Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 26, I'm going to read it to you again. Paul wrote, uh, He did it, I mean Jesus. Jesus did it. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus went to the cross because he's just and he wants to justify. Two things. He's just and he wants to justify. See, whether we know it or not, we are all searching for what this verse describes, justification. Every human being is on a justification quest. We we want to be validated, to be approved. Uh, Author uh, Jonathan Lehman, uh, in his book, Uh, How the Nations Rage, uh, writes this, Every morning, every one of us began waking up and planning our days in order to affirm our existence. Every room we walk into, we go looking for such an affirmation. My life matters. My presence counts. I am good. The fallen self feels intrinsically compelled to do something, to work for its own justification. That's what we all try to do whether it's through social causes, through how we do our our work uh, in business or at home, we're trying to prove we're one of the good people. But our self-justification efforts never fully work. We can't shake the sense that we don't fully measure up, that we're not all that we should be, that we're not tove. And the harder we work, the more we're going to realize that because our work is imperfect. So what we're called to here in Romans 3 is not self-justification. That's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible isn't, here's how God calls you to live, follow Jesus' example and work hard at it. That's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is, let's look to Jesus for our justification, allow Him to transform our hearts so we can become like Him in how we live. See, Jesus is just, He is perfectly just, fully just, in ways, in all the ways we've talked about. I mean, Jesus fully kept 
God's laws and called others to fully keep God's laws. Jesus showed no partiality. I love the gospel accounts and who Jesus interacted with. We see him interacting with tax collectors, prostitutes, Pharisees, people of every strata of human life Jesus interacted with. He accepted, and he also um, pointed out their sin to all stratas, right? Jesus showed no partiality. But he also treated the vulnerable with special attention. The sick, the disabled, the leper, the outcast. Jesus specially cared for the vulnerable. Jesus is fully just, and he was just in our place. It's not just his his death that was in our place, it was his life. Jesus lived the life we should have lived but didn't live. Therefore, when he dies in our place, his record of righteousness, his just life is credited to us. He justifies us. That we're not having to work to prove we're a good person. We receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. He has done what we could not do. Jesus justifies unjust people. In the secular terms I read at the beginning, the retributive justice that we deserve was taken by Jesus on the cross. Our sin was paid for. And sin must be paid for. But it was not only that that Jesus did. There was a restorative justice accomplished in his death that he then heals and restores by giving us his righteousness and putting his Holy Spirit within us. You see, a, good, a tree can't produce good fruit just by being told it was bad and having its badness you know, pay, uh, paid for. It must become good. And Jesus puts his goodness into us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We can become just people as we look at the just Savior and receive his justification. And then thirdly, we respond to the injustice of the world with the justice of Jesus. We are motivated to work uh, in our world now because how Jesus has interacted with us. And he's justified us and he's planned good works for us to do and he has not treated us as we deserved. But he has loved us even at our worst and this motivates us to work to love for others who are deserving and undeserving. It's a complete kind of justice. And we work for justice in individual ways. God will call each of us in one way or another to be part of his justice work in this world. And we don't all have the same call. Uh, For some of you, you're going to participate in things like adoption. Many of you have. That's justice work. For others of you, it'll be care for the elderly or serving a neighbor who's really in need. Or maybe it's financial giving to groups that help to end modern-day slavery and sex trafficking. That's all justice work that God is doing in the world today, and He's calling us to participate with Him. But He's also calling us together, corporately, as a church, to be doing the work of justice. And I'm grateful our church um, has had a track record of this. Things like the Mercy Team were established for this purpose. Our work in the House of Hope or the Dover Friendly Kitchen or a mission trip to Cancun. These all have elements of working for justice to correct what is wrong. That's what God wants to do in our world, to bring His 
uh, shalom, his peace, to make things tov. Now, until Jesus returns, things will never be fully as they ought to be. But as Christians, we work for the good as a signpost to that future day when Christ will return. Because we know what the world should be like, God's word tells us. And so we point others towards that day. And we work for that day ourselves. As we come towards the finish line here, this message, um, my application for us today is going to be focused on prayer. Because I don't think we can truly work for justice apart from prayer. Justice apart from prayer almost always becomes human striving. Now, we can't stop at prayer. It must lead to our deeds. But here's where we need God's Spirit to fill us and to guide us and to lead us. So I'm going to give us three ways we can pray today. For some of you here today, you may be hearing this message and realize, I need the justifying work of Jesus Christ. That trying to live the cycle of self-justification is killing me because it does. We can never work off the debt we know we have. We have not lived as God has called us to live. And apart from receiving Jesus Christ, His mercy, His love, His forgiveness in our life, our souls will not be right. Today, during prayer, you can receive the justifying work of Jesus. And I invite you to do that. I invite you to ask Jesus to forgive you for the wrong you have done, and to receive his love, his leadership in your life now. Secondly, I'm going to invite us as a church to pray that we as a church would live justly. We live in a a challenging time, but a time with great opportunity. We live in a world with so many needs. These are opportunities for us to be able to be pointing to Jesus Christ. Let's pray that we would do justly what God is calling us to do. And then thirdly, let's pray for our world as a whole. God loves this world. He sent his son to this world. Let's pray that justice will be done in our world. Even among people who don't know Christ, don't claim the name of Christ, God wants to work out his peace even through them. Pray for our governments. Pray for the people in our world today that justice will be done. I'm going to close in prayer now. and I invite you to either pray with me now. Also, after the service, we always have a time of prayer. There will be people under the chalkboard, prayer leaders. You're welcome to join the prayer team and to pray with them about any of these three things about God's work in your life personally, receiving his justifying work, his work in our church, his work in the world. Let's be a people of